Well, we made it. Didn't know that we would do. But this is truly our first World Health Assembly podcast taking account of what happened today. And my fantastic co-host, Elisha Dunjorju. Hey, Elisha. Hey, Ben. We made it to Geneva. Here we are. We did. Amazing that we did. (laughs) And what a day it's been. Exactly. Well, let's let's dive in and introduce our guest for today. Yes, because you don't want to hear from just us every time. So we're very happy to have Lois Chingandu, who's the interim ED of Frontline AIDS. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you. (laughs) On this busy day. Very busy. I feel like I've been here for two weeks already. (laughs) (laughs) And it's only been two days. (laughs) Now, I mean, to my mind, I'm sitting with stars because... I think I was saying to you earlier, Elisha, I think you two are the breakout stars <laughs> of the World Health Assembly. Um, and um, uh, I am really interested to sort of know what you have been up to today because, yeah, first full day, it's it's quite full on, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I I spent my morning in the Palais listening to the opening speeches by Dr. Tedros and others and sort of the beginnings of negotiations on universal health coverage and the global women's strategy for women, adolescents, and children. I don't know, Lois, what you've been doing today so far. I've been uh, in the UNAIDS building uh, <laughs> talking about the, you know, the Global Prevention Coalition, preparing for the meeting that's going to happen in a few days' time. But you've also been at a number of receptions. You were, I bumped into you last night at the Unitaid reception, which uh, we've got to dish the gossip on that in a little bit. But uh, other events you were at today? Not really. I haven't really started uh, in the events, but I've been in a number of, um, yeah, I have been at uh, a number of receptions. I just came from the, Pan-African Pandemic uh, uh, Network um, reception, uh, which was really, really nice, where I met quite interesting people uh, that are here to make sure that the pandemic treaty goes well. And then, yeah, yeah, last night we were at that United function, which I think was amazing. Yeah, I really enjoyed the presentations. I know you had just flown in Elisha, so you missed I missed it. We talked briefly on the phone. It sounded from the background like people were having a very good time. So I'm assuming that cocktails were flowing and appetizers were flowing. And uh... Yeah, well, in fact, and I, I will do a shout out to the organizers because they had this really good chicken kebab thing in <laughs> um, coconut oh. fried with barbecue sauce. It was, nice. it was really good. Yeah. I think that might not be so interesting to people who are not here walking around all day looking for food in between meetings. But when you get to a reception and the appetizers are good, it's an amazing feeling because you probably have not eaten anything satisfying all day long. It's a total oasis. So so in your travels today, what have you been hearing? What are the what are the big themes? 
Well, I mean, I heard a lot of um, official things at the um, Palais today. I mean, in Dr. Tedros's speech, he, um, you know, he opened, he welcomed all of the delegates, all of the member state ambassadors, and um, did a lot of recap of all of the work that the really good work that WHO has doing. He also um, really pushed on sustainable financing for WHO, which we know has been a problem. And there's going to be a conversation this week around that and and um, issues around assessed contributions that barely support WHO's budget as it is. He also, you know, talked a lot about needing to have the pandemic accord process align with the review of the international health regulations around the work on the pandemic fund around you know the UN high level meeting on pandemic preparedness and response that's coming up which to your um shout out to the pandemic action network and others that were at that reception i think everyone's here to really make that happen and there was a strategic round table on pandemic preparedness today at the world health assembly as well uh, and what about you lois yeah, I think the big story here is, is about pandemic preparedness. But uh, for me, last night, I had something that really sat very well with me uh, from Maureen. Um, Our friend Maureen. Yes, Maureen. the community representative. You know, she she really took us through the journey of where we came from with HIV, reminding us uh, how difficult it was those, those days, the stigma the use of false names, but the one thing that stood out in her messaging was the fact that, uh, yes, it's important for us to focus on pandemic preparedness, but, you know, there are unfinished pandemics, one of which is HIV. And sometimes I get a sense that people have forgotten and we are all riding on this bandwagon of let's prepare for pandemics that are coming. What about the pandemic that we are still sitting with right now? Yeah, that is certainly a, a, a theme I heard. And, and going to a, a, a remark that Maureen made, um, that in the early days, you know, you didn't want to identify that you that you were having an HIV test, so you would go as far away from your home mm -hmm. as you could. You'd use a false name when you were getting your test, and then when it came to get the result of the test, you'd actually forgotten. The false name that you've given, so uh, you need to be reminded of, of you know, note to self. Remember who you are when you get your get get the result of your test. And 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 I think in the context of pandemics preparation, it it, it was immensely powerful because with all these high level conversations about how governments should work together. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see if that happens. But really, it does happen at the local level. It happens mm -hmm. at the individual level. And and I think systematically, and I, I don't know if you've picked up on this, but the 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 sort of the word on the street and in the and in the um the coffee bars where people are grabbing their fix of caffeine before the next next event, um, there really is a sense, I think, that there is a big disconnect between treaties and international mechanisms and what's actually happening on the ground would you would you see that yeah definitely because uh, when we are sitting at this level in geneva and we are talking using the terms treaty protocol <laughs> you know 
and we are all sounding really fancy, but uh, the the reality is when you ask somebody on the ground, what are we even talking about? The chances are they might just tell you that I have no clue what they are talking about. Um, because we like to use those terminologies, but we never really translate them to what do they mean uh, for the situation that Maureen was describing. How is that going to change for for people that are facing stigma and discrimination, uh, for people that have no access uh, to services and medication and all these things? What does a pandemic treatment mean? <laughs> well, yes, that 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 is certainly true but i i think we've also seen that the the broader politics are bleeding their way through and i i can see elisha laughing i mean your your team has been on the floor of the of the palais all day um so how have those politics played out and i'm thinking of not taiwan but also of russia yeah, I mean, I think that's true. And I, I think to Lois's point, just before we get to that, like the pandemic treaty and what does that mean for people, it takes a while for it to trickle down as well. It's not that once everyone, every member state signs on, then we're finished. You know, there's that process of negotiating the text. And then really at the local level, you need to involve parliamentarians, local ministers, local health systems, and make sure that everything gets to the community. So it takes several years. I mean, it's not a, already it doesn't feel quick. You said you've been here yeah. two days and you feel like you've been here two weeks. I feel the same about the accord process. Um, but <laughs> Asia, isn't that what is wrong? Because we shouldn't be talking of treating. Well, and I, yes. It should be coming from the bottom. Yes. Upwards. I mean, I think we, <laughs> we started out this series talking about, you know, that we make everyone to come to Geneva or we make everyone come to New York and who's going to them and meeting people where they are. There's a lot to be said that could be different. And, and to that point, it does relate to your question, Ben, about sort of what are the other politics that happen in the room? And I think in every conversation, that you sit in, whether it's at WHA or in the UN, you know, there's a lot of other inter-nation politics on the table. And so, you know, you can't talk about health without talking about sovereignty and countries bring that in. And that was Russia today sort of making the point that, you know, that people are treading on the sovereignty of certain nations and certainly in the conversation around the women's the strategy for women, adolescents, and children. Immediately, the fight went to sexual reproductive health and rights, and the difference where countries sit on that subject. And you know, no surprise, I think the opening one of the opening statements from member states was a sort of constituency of, I think it was like Belgium, the United States, Sweden, Norway, all very pro <laughs> SRHR, and then. Some of the Eastern Mediterranean states came in and, you know, Middle Eastern states came in and like, well, we have some reservations, right? So you're just going back and forth. But that's not unique to that situation. The different cultures, different governments, it all plays into the, the statements that come in on something that you think should be universal, like access to health. Yeah. So, And we're going to come back to access to health mm -hmm. because, yeah, that's really what this is all about mm -hmm. in, in, in theory. But um, if I got it right, at every WHA, there is a motion to include Taiwan. 
uh, as a a participant, a yes. fully fledged member of the World Health Assembly, and every WHA that gets that shouted gets shouted down. Yes. That happened this time around in the morning today. Yes, just off the table right away. So. Uh, and then in the afternoon, when um, Russia gave its intervention, I, I, I heard that uh, proceedings had to be uh, drawn to a pause for a while. Um, I mean, interesting that you say, you know, um, the, the Russian delegate saying that, uh, you know, we shouldn't be in, we shouldn't be uh, treading on nation sovereignty, but sort of, um, hello. <laughs> Some irony in that statement. Irony, maybe I could hypocrisy yes um and there is you know there are procedures that happen throughout the day so there's a kind of process where there's member state statements and then non-state actor statements and other statements from the floor and then at the end of each session there's sort of a i can't remember exactly the technical term but a right of reply and so that right of reply is often where these that section is where these these come up um and which then affects the agenda the agenda is already quite behind. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. And and why in theory the World Health Assembly lasts over a week. Right. Yeah. But uh, but going back to pandemics because mm -hmm. that was going to be the theme of of this particular podcast. You both spoke about how you know these these treaties have to be developed, they have to be implemented. Mm -hmm. How on earth do we mount an effective pandemic response when these procedures move so glacially? And so I guess the question is, are they even are they even relevant to a meaningful pandemic response? I mean, I think that they can't be the only focus, right? To Lois's point about, countries coming together for existing pandemics. I mean, I think HIV is an example where we made progress because countries did come together to form the Global Fund to, you know, listen to advocates about removing visa restrictions, which I know is still a, a big work in process. I'm not going to say that that is solved at all. Um, but there are certain things that really took a global approach that happened at the country level. I think the same is true with tuberculosis, which is another ongoing pandemic that is all about lecture you know, lack of equity, right? I mean, that one, if any, we could solve with universal health coverage and, and access to health systems. Um, so we have to do these because there does have to be global cooperation, but that doesn't mean we should stop everything else. You know, it's it's got to be a multi-pronged approach. Can't put all the eggs in one treaty basket. One treaty basket. <laughs> and, and I suppose, you know, Lessons learned from HIV, lessons learned from COVID, you know, incremental steps. How do we work together? And I, I Lois, would really welcome your thoughts as it relates to um, Southern Africa. Um, the idea that countries have to really collaborate now because a, um, a microbe, um, a, a pathogen, does not respect national boundaries, nor does it indeed respect treaties. Yeah. Um, when you ask the question whether are all these things relevant, I think they are, particularly now, because when you reflect on what happened with COVID, um, it looked as if we were caught completely by surprise and we were caught unaware 
and a lot of time was wasted in the confusion of people not knowing how to work together as a world, we're now confronted by one threat. And I think this process now that is taking place now, which is let's think in advance, if this were to happen, what do we need to have in place? And as a, as a, as a world together, because we all learned that when it happens, it doesn't care about borders, it doesn't care about who you are. So it's, it is important that people come together to do the thinking and do the planning. But sometimes when I look at the processes and I look at how they are going, I'm always really scared. I'm always thinking, are we going to have another pandemic before they've even <laughs> finished the process? Because <laughs> the sense of agency is what I don't see. I see us going back to the old ways of doing business, of you know the whole process you are describing that is happening in the assembly right now is how they've always done business. There's nothing that I'm seeing which is saying we are trying to address an emergency that can appear tomorrow, today, and you know, we want to work differently. When I when I see countries debate for hours over a terminology, I really feel frustrated, you know, uh, as an activist, because I know that while we are debating whether is it sexual reproductive health, is it rights, is it that, is it that. It's not really contributing to how we will respond to a pandemic. If we wake up tomorrow and we have a pandemic, are we ready? Yeah. And the brutal answer to that is no, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and it's funny you raise that. Um, uh, an interview we did earlier this afternoon, which we'll release later today after this, was with uh, Professor Heidi Larson of the Vaccine Confidence Project and the New Global Listening Project. And, you know, and I asked her that very directly, are we ready? And um, her response was quite sobering. And I won't say any more because it'll encourage people to watch and listen to it. Um, but it also highlights that the bulk of the work actually happens off uh, the um, assembly floor. It's in the receptions and the networking. And so um, I, I don't know, Lois, what have, what have you got planned? What's your next reception? And who are you going to target? And what are you going to get them to do for you? I, I think for me, an important conversation that I want to see happening a lot more is the whole issue of production of, of whether it is vaccines or technologies to, to set up us up for the future. And so tonight, I'm sure you know, we are going to, I'm going to this reception again, hosted by the French and where that conversation is taking place. I think that is an important uh, conversation. If we don't get our act together in terms of production, yeah, particularly for Africa. We know that production can happen very quickly in the, in the developed countries. We are still talking in Africa. We have set up some structures. We know in South Africa, there is uh, something that has been set up there. Um, I really just want us to get to a point where we can say, yeah, we can produce this amount. So if this happens tomorrow, we'll be able to start distributing these vaccines at this rate by this point. And, I, and that's, that's the, the conversation I'm really looking for in this, in this uh, assembly. And I will be 
participating in a number of conversations where we are talking about that. And the issue of equity is also an important one. That uh, yesterday, the United uh, platform was about partnerships for equity, for access. That's what we should be talking about, you know. Uh, we cannot repeat what happened with COVID. We just can't. And the only way we can make sure that it's not going to happen again is if we have those discussions now. How are we going to ensure equity? And equity is never going to come from a few countries producing for the whole world. There is never, we are not going to get equity there. And it's going to take us time to get there. I mean, even with yeah. the vaccine manufacture, yeah. regionally we're all looking at. Mm. Sobering. And what about you, Elisha? Where are you going after this? Well, after this, I'm going to dinner, but later this week <laughs> to get something to eat, finally. Um, later this week, I have a number of different um, sessions and events, some of them, again, around pandemics and inclusiveness, pandemic financing, which I think is another question because not only do we need an equitable approach, but we need a well-financed pandemic approach and an end to this panic and neglect cycle that we keep falling into that there's a surge of money and then everyone is expected to jump and take up the money and deploy it. And then the pandemic is not a public health emergency anymore. And then the money is gone. So we have to get out of that. And a lot of that, I think, is the localization approach that Lois is talking about. Um, also quite a number of sessions around health workforce and universal health coverage. It was refreshing today to hear health workers mentioned often during the day as part of the pandemic preparedness and response strategic roundtable. Dr. Tedros mentioned the need to not only you know address the healthcare worker shortage, but make sure that healthcare workers are protected, which has been quite a difficult thing during the pandemic, as we know, in, in countries all over the world because of disinformation. Um, health systems and community health workers and frontline health workers have really been attacked for their for their role, which is just unconscionable. Um, so I'm I'm sort of bouncing between many different topics and receptions. I've RSVP'd to a lot of things that I will try to go to <laughs> and, and we'll see how it goes. But it's just a wealth of really good sessions and it's nice to see so many people here. I mean, people I've only seen in little Zoom boxes and get to meet in person for the first time. So that's really, really a nice part of WHA. So I guess we should let you get to these receptions and start kicking the proverbial. Um, Lois, thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, no doubt we'll be seeing much, much more of you. Yes. Um, and Elisha, I don't know if you've got some final words for us. <laughs> I, I think that it can be hard to sort through all the noise that's happening here. And so hopefully this podcast helps, but we'll keep plugging away and if you are listening and interested in a sort of more detailed recap, WHO does put out a daily digest on WHA, which you can find on their WHA page on the on their website. And that's more of a play-by-play -play and maybe a little less cynical of a stance that we're giving you. Well, sort of <laughs> it's a little more factual. Yeah. We're providing the insights. That's right, yeah. context, yes. But it is really just tells you what happened throughout the day and, and what's coming up tomorrow, which is also helpful since they keep getting delayed. So things get shifted throughout the week and, and that will kind of keep you on track if you're following closely.
Sounds good. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you uh, to my co-host. Thank you, Ben. Shadan Georgiou. Thank you to Lois Chingandu. Thank you, Ben. Um, and thank you for listening in and watching in. And we'll be back um, tomorrow with uh, another exciting update on how behind in the UN agenda we are. So... <laughs> <laughs>